Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hi, welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Jeff Jowdy, your host for today's discussion on leadership development. Joining us today is my good friend, Frank Parsons, principal consultant at Parsons Consulting, where they provide a leadership development uh, succession and executive recruiting services. And Frank also is an expert for the Center for Nonprofit Management. Frank also serves on several nonprofit boards, including the Smile 180 Foundation. Frank established his own organizational consulting practice in 1994, where his expertise ranges from startup businesses to executive team building and facilitating organizational transitions to ensure continued productivity in times of change. Frank was first exposed to coaching managers and leaders when he assisted in managing the transition of the merger between Baker International and Hughes Oil Tools and ran the Career Resource Center. He later went on to become Vice President of Human Resources for three separate divisions of Baker Hughes. Frank's a graduate of the Thunderbird School of Global Management at Arizona State University and lives in Nashville. Frank, it's just uh, an honor to have you. Uh, you're always someone that I learn from being around, and I know our listeners will. Welcome to the Beacon Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's, it's really an honor to do this today, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Frank, this is uh, certainly a time when we mentioned about uh, leading in time of change, and this certainly is, but how important is it for nonprofit uh, leadership to have a succession plan and leadership development strategy? It, well, it's, it goes without saying, and, you know, I, I think when you define succession planning, it, it's, I think it's perhaps best understood as a, any effort designed to kind of ensure the continued effective performance of an organization. And by making provision for the development, replacement, and uh, street, strategic uh, application of key people over time. Now, you know, when you look at the strict definition of succession planning, uh, you'll, in, in, in the for-profit world, it's, they'll say to ensure that as individuals achieve greater seniority, their management skills will broaden and become more generalized in relation to total organizational objectives rather than do purely departmental objectives, okay? One of the, the challenges that nonprofit organizations have is size. I mean, when you look at the design of most succession plans, it it, it's predicated on having a, a bench of, of qualified people and the ability to do lateral movement to give them this broader scope of responsibilities, especially when we talk about the executive director or CEO of a nonprofit. You know, for that reason, I think in the case of most nonprofits, the size of the organization is, uh, limits the ability of the organization to model a more progressive succession planning and management process. Because at best, most organizations are practicing what I would term a replacement planning process, especially with regards to the executive director. And I think there's been a real groundswell in nonprofits. And over the last maybe four or five years, we've been doing more work about this around succession planning and preparation. So in many ways, uh, succession planning is more a form of risk management. Mm -hmm. And from a board perspective, it, it starts with 
how do we manage this intersection? How do we manage transitions? And that starts with a, a somewhat of a policy or policy statement that takes into place, into, uh, into account, excuse me, the different scenarios that will happen when there is a leadership transition, a sudden loss. I've been talking to an organization where the, exec, the founding executive director right now is very sick. So it's unexpected. It uh, happened very quickly. And they're scrambling right now to figure out how we're going to go about this. Or it is a situation where the executive director finds greener pastures and decides to to move to another position or change. And especially what we've been seeing, I think, in our work over the last 10, 15 years is retirement. The baby boomers are leaving in droves. And so uh, I would say 50% of the searches I've done over the last 10 years have been in cases where there's a retirement situation. So, you know, how do we mitigate this risk? And, and there's several ways to do that, but it starts with policy. And then I think it, the challenge, especially at the board level, how effective is our performance management system? And part of this policy is usually having a, a, a description or a profile it should look like a recruitment profile, not a job description, that it, when we're faced with this, we have a good read on what we need in the next CEO. So, and a lot of them will go to that policy level, but they don't update it. And it's kind of curious, it's kind of humorous in some ways, Jeff, that so often when I start a search, they'll give me the policy, the policy description uh, that they have updated. And when I use that as the bedrock for building a recruitment profile, they'll come back and say, this isn't a leadership description. This is a management description. It doesn't reflect what really happens with a, a CEO. You know, and, and that happens over and over again. I used to throw up my hands and say, well, look, <laughs> this is your description. But, but the reality is they're not being proactive enough about where are we in our life cycle as an organization and what skill set is needed for this organization going forward? If they would just visit that once a year, even with policy, they're going to be in so much better shape once they start the process. I think that I think the approach and disciplines of succession planning are still critically important for nonprofits, even if they can't model what is happens in larger organizations. So I think it needs to become a central practice and mostly in terms of how do we manage our own people? How do we effectively give them opportunities? And really, I think with folks below the executive director level, it's almost a mantra that we should be training our people to leave, especially in small organizations, meaning preparing them for the opportunity to become an executive director. But because how many times have you had conversations with nonprofit boards or and or their CEO and said, well, we don't have anybody on the bench to do that. What can we do? And in, in, even if it's organic, and you know, when I think about performance management and success around performance management, it's quite simple. It's about uh, tying per individual aspirations to, to mission and goals of the organization. Are we having these kind of conversations? And where are the opportunities where I can have somebody shadow and you know, 
especially in your work around fundraising, this is so critically important. It's one of the top skills. When I talk to boards all the time, they'll say, well, what are you looking for in this next leader? Passion for mission, fundraising, good financial acumen, good leadership skills, vision, ability to sell destinations, all of these types of things. Well, why aren't you trying to do that and model that in terms of providing those kind of opportunities to at least build some of those skills that prepares them? I say training to lead. When you do that and you tie their development to their own aspirations, the opposite happens. They stay longer because they feel like they're growing professionally in what they're doing. You know, I'd like to finish off your question with just some questions that I would throw out to any board or CEO that's at a place where they're thinking about this. And that, you know, the first question we've talked about is what policy and philosophy statement has been written to guide succession planning in your organization? How does an organization identify, describe, or clarify the requirements of key positions, especially for the CEO or executive director? Beyond descriptions, has the organization identified competencies or success success factors by level. And one a good exercise is, does your organization use replacement charts? And this is a really simple exercise that an executive director can do that gives them a real sense about the gaps they have in their own leadership development. And so give them a the work chart and say, all right, here's a line below that. Who's Who can replace you right now? And in and, and Nine times out of the 10, there isn't somebody to put in that box, especially when you look at 50% of the nonprofits I work with have budgets of a million or less, which translates to, what, 10, 15 employees, 20 employees at the most. But it's an exercise they can do and and be thoughtful about uh, how they hire even to lower levels. And this raises a real question for me that's been central to how do we... how do we bring more diversity and equity into, into nonprofit leadership? And, and I think if, if they take a, 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 a run at, at really looking at, even at the entry level, how we recruit that there's that, you're recruiting for potential. Patrick Linsoni, I don't know if you know him, he wrote a book around team players. He says he's distilled recruiting down to three areas, and that is humble, hungry, and smart. I love it. So, and so if you, can, if, you, if you can hire potential and think about hiring potential, I think there, it sets the stage for building really strong leadership at all levels. Frank, I just love the way you position that. And I'll, I'll share from my experience, you mentioned smaller, but I know of many significant sized nonprofits that, that really need to be thinking about uh, the those anchors and that you just described and the questions you have and, and the whole, uh, you know, looking at it for risk mitigation, look, uh, revisiting it every year, uh, especially the nonprofit and for-profit differences, because we had a client last week that one of our recommendations was to have a succession plan in place, and they actually do, but the challenge was their nonprofit board friends didn't get it because it was different than what they'd seen in the for-profit. Right. And, and, and so it's just great advice. Well, Frank, one of the things that I'm always curious, because you, you mentioned not having the bench strength, it's a different decision uh, making. I know this is variable 
Uh, but what do you typically find, or, or you may not, there may be, uh, there may not be a preference, but do you usually find it more advantageous to hire from within an organization or from, uh, externally, or is it situational? What do you, what do you usually find in searches? Well, it's, it's situational quite often, but I, I would start off by saying that in most organizations, if you ask the CEO of a company or, or, or what, what's your preference, they would all say, oh, internally, absolutely. There is this thought approach uh, I think a lot of boards have because of the community, the transparency and the community nature of most nonprofits, that they feel an obligation to do an external search. And I've been trying to challenge boards around that. And quite honestly, you know, going back to 94, 95, I've done close to 300 CEO searches for nonprofits. Uh, it's a lot of searches, but it's more about my age than productivity. <laughs> but but I, I would say that that I wish I wish I did fewer of those and and w- did work around finding ways to to have talent rise in an organization so they don't have to go through that process because it's so disruptive in many ways to, to the organization, both from a cultural standpoint, productivity standpoint. I'd like to share a story with you and identifying too, another question I raised in the previous question was about where are we in our life cycle as an organization? but that really, really should define those criteria and competencies that we're looking for. I did a search 20 years ago for Habitat for Humanity, and uh, the board hired a woman by the name of Chris McCarthy, and they were in horrible shape when uh, financially at that time. Um, Most habitats around the country, too, were just coming out of that grassroots phase and had a, a lot of volunteer management. It, the lines were really blurred around the governance models, all of those types of things. Chris had a, her MBA from Vanderbilt, was actually CFO of a, of a manufacturing company. But she had such a passion for affordable housing. It, it, it just permeated even in the early interviews and things like that. And I remember when I presented her as a candidate, the, the board why did you bring her in? She has no nonprofit experience, but had passion for the mission and had the skills that really were needed for the org- uh, uh, organization that needed to get out of that grassroots phase and function at a different level. And she did that. In a 12-year, she was at the helm for 12 years. They went from building seven houses a year to building, oh gosh, you know, 10, uh, 20 sometimes, some years and building entire neighborhoods. And when she retired the second time, that what was needed in that organization was very different than the skill set that, that Chris brought. And uh, we recruited Danny Heron. And keep in mind that they had a portfolio at that point of over 650 home loans. And so as a function, how do you manage that? Because the real work from a mission perspective for Habitat is around keeping people in those homes, changing the way they live their lives. But the fun part is, is the, are the builds, of course, but, but that's the real kind of sauce that, that, and behind the scenes that needs to happen. And Danny had been a banker. He'd been a developer. 
and he just had a real warmth and passion about things and and a, and was fearless in terms of going out and telling that story he too didn't have the nonprofit experience but came in they haven't skipped a beat you know and you i mean we've seen a lot of press just this last week about how they're adapting to to the new environment in Nashville where there's just no land uh, available and they're having to think differently about their approach to affordable housing. The Another one quick story too is sexual assault center. Uh, Tim Tohill uh, approached the board two years before he retired and told the board, I have somebody internally that I'd like to promote to COO and, and shadow me for a year. She's strong programmatically and, and went through a whole process with the board uh, two years before he left. And, he, and, and, and so we created a process as if we were going to go out and do a search, developed criteria, had them go through interviews. I checked references on this person, even though they're internally. And we had a go, uh, stop, go in terms of, are you comfortable with this person to be successor? And it, and it worked. She's Rachel's doing an incredible job there, and uh, Tim they backfilled her position, and um, and that's another approach to take, I think, especially for executive director. So preference, hire internally, but majority of the time we're having to go outside. I think there's some great wisdom, because no matter it's. Uh, if you've worked with someone for three or four years, they're a known quantity for sure. So, absolutely. Well, Frank, in the closing question would be, what qualities do you look for in potential leaders? Well, I, I say, you know, each search is different. And it, it's indifferent, so the qualities shift a little bit. But <clears throat> I like to talk about competencies, and especially in our current challenge with the pandemic and what this, the impact that's had on all of our, our clients and members. There's four things I look at, Jeff. And first is adaptive skills, adapting. And I think that's managing self well under stress and manages conflict uh, to respond to the adaptive challenges facing every organization. When COVID hit, fundraising especially, I think was one of those. And how do we provide services even, you know, given the the needs. If you think about the search about to start with Safe Haven, it's their their mission is about keeping families intact during homelessness and, and giving them a path to self-reliance. And so it, you know, it, it it there's so many challenges. These aren't problems to solve, but how do we manage over time? And I, I think as far as in any setting, as you go higher in an organizational structure, it's less and less about your cognitive skill sets and more and more about how you have the adaptive skills to manage change. And, 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 and it's, it, it, it's influenced by, you know, emotional intelligence, your listening, your, your ability to not react as much as to absorb and evaluate and be able to step back. There's a, there's a, a one of the top, uh, thought leaders in this area is a, a man by the name of Ron Heifetz, who teaches at the Kennedy School of Public Policy. And he talks about getting to the balcony around adaptive leadership. And kind of picture yourself going to a, he uses this analogy, going to a dance that you've never seen before. 
And let's say that dance is COVID and the pandemic. He says, to understand it, you have to jump, get above it and not react to it. Because I think we, we all have a winning strategy that has helped us to be successful. But when you get to adaptive challenges, if you try to apply the things that worked for you last year, it's not going to, might not go well. So, so it's understanding and being able to adapt. The second is managing. You know, it's the, I call it the trains running on time. You know, there's this heads down, heads up continuum for nonprofit leaders where, you know, they can go from dealing with the plumbing in their organization to then working to, with a, a high potential donor for a major gift in the same day. You know, so they've got to be able to shift. And they they also, that uh, managing is about recruiting and goes back to talking about succession, recruiting the right mix of talent, the ability to define roles, delegates, you know, and that's difficult to do for a lot of nonprofit leaders. Uh, Sets mission-based goals, you know, and gives timely and effective feedback is all part of that. But it's it's also the cognitive stuff about budgeting and paying attention to regulation and all reporting and, and all those types of things. The third is leading. And when I ask board members, they'll talk about fundraising. You know, that that's a huge part of that, you know, but the, the strategic planning, and a lot of times they'll misplace that to th- say that's about the process. Of, have you ever managed a strategic planning process, but it's, it's more leading, it's generate, it generates a, a persuasive vision and direction. It's the ability to sell destinations. And that's why we talked about Chris McCarthy, uh, didn't have the strategy experience, but was able to get people engaged and excited about where the organization was going and was be able, was able to tell stories and and, and to be able to articulate where the organization was heading and where they wanted to head it, you know, so creating that magnetic north for a nonprofit. Uh, ability to lead groups that produce creative solutions, I think, is another area. And the ability to influence multiple constituencies. Because I think this is a critical piece because it's more and more growth for nonprofits. And, and the funders, especially big foundations, are looking for collaboration that you're not going to have uh, vertical growth historically. We, some, Yeah, there will be some of that, but it's more how do we work in partnership with other organizations to have a greater impact of the people we're serving. Before, uh, the, the last is coaching. And this goes, this is a huge piece around a succession. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It's about having the right conversations with your people. You know, it develops others through direct coaching. And I think it's becoming more and more important as a skill for nonprofit leaders. Well, I think, Frank, or I don't think I know our listeners can uh, now know why I always enjoy visiting with you and I, I always learn from you. And for our listeners, I know you now know why I uh, hold Frank in such high esteem and always learn from him. And you'll see his contact information on the website. So please reach out and uh, if he can be of help to you and your nonprofit or for-profit, Frank. I got to remind our listeners that you work uh, across the board, right, in the for-profit and nonprofit sectors. So again, uh, thank you, Frank, for being our guest today on the Beacon Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's, it's been a real pleasure. And to our listeners, thanks again for joining us. Uh, 
on the Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.